take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, that'd be great. And in just a bit, not right this moment, but we'll start in Hebrews chapter 9 is where I want to start. So you can turn to chapter 9 of Hebrews. But today I want to speak to you, uh, really it's something that we have hit as we've been going through this series called uh, Jesus is Better in Hebrews. We've hit this theme, this subject indirectly, and today I want to hit it directly. And so I want to talk about uh, conscience, the conscience. Uh, So the scripture says in one place, it says the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And that, by the way, is 1 Timothy 1.5. So let's uh, pray together, and would you join me in prayer, even though I'll, of course, be the one leading us. Let's pray, and we'll even take a brief moment of silence for prayer. Pray to the Lord on your own. This could be a time to confess our sins. Lord, we come to you this morning. We are your people. Oh, our our God, we are your people. We are bought, bought with the blood of the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are, as your people, not only individually, but corporately, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so we praise you. Holy, 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 blessed Trinity. And Lord, we do acknowledge that we sin daily. And Lord, apart from your grace and this supper that we have observed this morning reminds us uh, that we have no hope apart from your grace, apart from what Christ did on the cross. Lord, certainly help us not to, uh, to willingly run headlong into sin, but Lord, we, we have committed sins this weekend. We have done things that we should not have done. We have left certain things undone that we should have done. In our actions, uh, Lord, in our thoughts, you are the God who searches hearts. Search me, O God, David said, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any unclean way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, would you do that for us? Lord, help us with your word now. May Jesus Christ be praised, whose name we pray. Amen. 
Uh, look at Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 9. Start with. Again, this is something that we have been hitting indirectly and we want to hit directly, and that is uh, the conscience. Hebrews 9, 9. After the parentheses that he gives there, he says this. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Really pretty simple plan this morning. I want you to engage with the Word of God, please. Very simple plan. We want to look at the book of Hebrews as we think about conscience. And then we want to broaden it to the New Testament. Okay, so that's the plan. Look at Hebrews and then broaden it to look at the New Testament on conscience but mainly it'll be 1 Corinthians, okay? So that's the, that's the idea. So where do you stand on these issues? Where do you stand on these issues? Watching mixed martial arts for entertainment. These are very different things. Uh, how to treat Sundays. Listening to secular music. Secular music. Dressing modestly. I got a lot more here I'm, I'm going to give you. Where do you stand on these things? Probably don't have to tell you that uh, people, not people, Christians, don't agree on these things. Always. Fair trade coffee. Watching particular movies or TV shows. Playing video games. How about this? Where do you stand on these things in your conscience? Where do you stand on these things in your conscience, and how strongly do you, in your conscience, stand on these things? How about reading J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series? Uh, ladies wearing makeup. Homeopathic medicine versus antibiotics. Public school versus private school versus private Christian school versus home school. Eating fast food that is unhealthy. Christian hip-hop. Body piercings. Smoking cigars. Drinking alcohol in moderation. Where do you stand on these things in your conscience? And how strongly do you hold in your conscience to these things? If I uh, give some quotes this morning, which I'll probably do somewhat liberally, uh, different things have helped me as I've tried to mainly, of course, study the Word of God, but different resources have really helped me. This and other things that I quote, will, uh, or many things, is from a great book on conscience by two guys named Nassily and Crowley. Nassily and Crowley. How about going into debt? Dating versus courtship. How about this issue? When should married couples start trying to have children? How many children should married couples have? Practicing daily family devotions. Being overweight. Santa Claus. Or I guess you could say Santa Claus being overweight. I don't know. Uh, is it sinful to celebrate Halloween? That's coming up. Is it sinful to listen to particular types of music? 
What about tattoos? Would everybody who's got a tattoo here this morning? No, I'm just kidding. Um, when I was young, uh, probably through the influence of my neighbors, I was introduced to the one and only Garth. Garth Brooks. And my neighbors thought Garth Brooks was really cool, loved his music. And I began to think Garth was really cool, loved his music. This was some decades ago. Um, I was raised in a Christian home and in the church. And so uh, being exposed as I was also through other friends to uh, Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer, sorry. Um, those were immediately uncomfortable for me. As I said, being raised in a Christian home and in the church, those made me uncomfortable pretty much immediately. But then there was Garth. And, uh, but then there was also a few curse words spattered here and there in Garth. And in my conscience, uh, from my home, and again, you, you, you don't hear me pronouncing right now, right, wrong. That's not, that's not my main point, right? But in my conscience, I said, man, this isn't good. And maybe to, maybe to an onlooker, it was crazy or something. But to me, it was like, I gotta, I gotta chuck this cassette tape. I got to get rid of it. Um, and, and that's what I did, probably with at least one. Um, and again, you can draw different opinions about that. And maybe to some at that time, it's like, oh, that's, that's probably a little too far or something like that. I, I, looking back, I think it was right because here's one of the things. You should always listen to conscience. You should always listen to conscience. That doesn't mean that your conscience is perfect. Nobody's conscience is perfect. The Word of God is perfect. It doesn't mean that your conscience is even right. Your conscience can pretty easily be wrong on something. It doesn't mean that your conscience is perfect or that your conscience is even right at all. It's not safe to go against conscience. You should always listen to conscience. And God is the only Lord of the conscience. God is the only Lord of the conscience. So I said the game plan is very simple. It's to look at Hebrews, which we've been seeing this idea of conscience uh, very indirectly. So we're going to look at Hebrews and then we want to move right on to the New Testament specifically to Corinthians. So look again, Hebrews 9.9. 9. Go back to verse 8. Hebrews 9.8. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Friend, did you know that Christianity is not about mere matters of food and drink? But it is about things like joy in the Holy Spirit. And he says here in Hebrews 9.10, these things in this arrangement, in this covenant, in this era, 
These things dealt only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body. Which makes us think that of what Jesus said, it's not what? It's not what goes into the body that defiles you, but it, what, it is what proceeds from the heart. These things at this time could only deal with externals until the time of the Reformation. And as much as we love the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago, this is talking about the time of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. What is he saying here in Hebrews 9.9 when he mentions the conscience? He's saying that in the old covenant, uh, in the time of Moses, in what we call the Old Testament, God did. God instituted these sacrifices. God told his people to do these things. But these sacrifices, day after day after day, could not ever in any full way take away sins. There was always, listen to me, there was always a consciousness of sin. Sacrifice performed. I'm going to sin again. I'm going to need to sacrifice again, even, even if it's the Day of Atonement. There's always a consciousness of of sins. So Hebrews 9 9, okay? Hebrews 9 9. Hebrews 9 14. Hebrews 9 14. How much more will the blood of Christ? Well, we really need to we really need to get a running start in verse 11. He talked about this time of reformation in verse 10, verse 11. But when Christ appeared. Oh, that's way better than Martin Luther. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, you see, he's been talking about the old covenant. He's been talking about the tabernacle. Through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all, once for all, into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls, are you looking at this? And the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Our God is one God, and he is triune. Do you see that there in 9.14? How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, the Trinity is the foundation of Christian living. How much more will this? How much more will this? Will what? The blood of Christ. Purify our conscience. There it is. There it is. Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You can be clean this morning from dead works which gets you nowhere. Friend, good news, you can be clean and cleansed this morning, this day. How? Through the blood of Christ that he shed on the cross for sinners, full, free, final, complete forgiveness. Therefore, verse 15, he's the mediator of a new covenant. It's new. All right, Hebrews 9, 9, Hebrews 9, 14, Hebrews 10, 2, Hebrews 10, 2. Starting in verse 1. 
For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Friend, that's what you need. You and I need. You need to be made perfect. You say, well, I thought nobody was perfect in this world. Yeah, well, that's not exactly what he's talking about. Verse 2, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. Jesus Christ is perfect. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for very imperfect people. People who are full of sin. People who deserve the wrath of God in hell for all of eternity. That no animal, no mere animal sacrifice could ever solve. And if we place our faith in Jesus, if we, if you repent of your sins, turn from your sins, and turn toward God, if you turn to Jesus Christ in faith, faith in His blood, faith in Him. Pastor Ray does do that song a lot. I like it. What does that song mean that we were singing? Does it mean that we don't have a place for creeds or for doctrine? That's not what it means. It means that your faith is not put in the Westminster Confession of Faith, as beautiful as it is in 96% of it. And your faith is not put in our doctrinal statement. You must put your faith in Christ, in a person. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not, e it's not even, as J.I. Packer says, we've been looking on Wednesday nights, it's not even this. It's not even believe that Christ died for you. That's how you hear the gospel. Believe that Christ died for you. Okay. But what you need is you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You need to receive Him as a person, as the Lord. You need to receive Him as the Lord of your life. Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners. He shed His blood for sinners. Do you know yourself to be a sinner? Hebrews 10.2 says, They would not have ceased to be offered. Would, would they not? See, friend, you can be made perfect through the perfect one. You, By the way, you need to go home and compare Hebrews 10.2 with Hebrews 9.9 and just notice the beauty of the tight comparison. Hebrews 10.3, But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, Hebrews 10.5, when Christ came into the world. Zwingli, Calvin, nah, Christ, the time of reformation. Hebrews 9.9, 9, Hebrews 9.14, Hebrews 10.2. By the way, Hebrews 10.2 is not the word conscience, is it? It's the word consciousness. That's what, con that, what is conscience? Conscience is your moral awareness of what you think is right and wrong at any given point in time. Conscience is your consciousness, your moral awareness of what you think is right and wrong at any given point in time. Hebrews 10.22 Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Dear friend, are you here this morning with a bad conscience? Are you here this morning with a seared conscience? Are you here, are you here this morning with a calloused conscience? With an evil conscience? I'm telling you, it can be clean. It can be cleansed. It can be clear. It can, it can be a good conscience. Instead of a bad conscience, you can have a good conscience. And he says, oh, in, in light, in light, in light of 10, 19 through 21, 10, 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance, full assurance of faith. Because through Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ alone, through Jesus Christ and him only, through the blood of Jesus Christ, our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. What beautiful language. And our bodies are washed with pure water. In all of this in Hebrews, I've just given you four passages that say directly either conscious or consciousness. And in all of this, I want to say very simply, Jesus Christ can cleanse your conscience by His blood shed on the cross for sinners. Full, free, final forgiveness. Jesus Christ can cleanse your conscience today. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. That's not just Paul or the writer to Hebrews. You can know, and it's not arrogant. It's not arrogant. You can say, I have a clear conscience. Man, that is the sweetest pillow in the world. The sweetest pillow in the world is to have a clear conscience. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean you're sinless. No, that's crazy. Not at all. Jesus Christ is. But he's not arrogant when he says this. We are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So you're going to turn back. Back. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I have shared this with you before. Let me share it again because I want to, because I like it so much. I, some of these things I just really like, and I'll share it with you again, and, and you'll listen because I'm doing it. Or I don't. John MacArthur has been really helpful on the issue of the conscience. Listen, in 1984, an Avianca Airlines jet crashed in Spain. The investigators studying the accident made an eerie discovery. The black box cockpit recorders revealed that several minutes before impact, a shrill computer-synthesized voice from the plane's automatic warning system told the crew repeatedly in English, pull up, pull up. The pilot evidently, remember this is in Spain, the pilot evidently thinking the system was malfunctioning, snapped, 
shut up, gringo, and switch the system off. Minutes later, the plane plowed into the side of a mountain. Everyone on board died. MacArthur says, when I saw the tragic story on the news shortly after it happened, it struck me as a perfect parable of the way modern people treat the warning messages of their conscience. The wisdom of our age says guilt feelings are nearly nearly always erroneous or hurtful. Stop for just a quick second. You cannot even enter the kingdom of heaven if you do not come to true and actual grips with your sin. What, what he's saying here is that the wisdom, listen, the wisdom of our age says that guilt feelings are nearly always harmful. There could not be anything more false than that. What are you going to listen to? The wisdom of this world or the wisdom of God in this book, which testified to Jesus Christ? Listen, the conscience is generally seen by the modern world as a defect, defect that robs people of their self-esteem. Far from being a defect or a disorder, however, our ability to sense our own guilt is a tremendous gift from God. Your ability to sense your own guilt is a gift from God. And some of you are here today and you have told your conscience so many times, shut up, shut up, shut up, and you're in danger. And we all need to give heed to the word of God because it's never safe to go against conscience. It doesn't mean your conscience is perfect. Nobody's is. It doesn't even mean that your conscience is right. It could be very wrong. And so we need to train our consciences by the word of God. You need to calibrate and educate your conscience. Guilt is not always bad or just not bad. He designed the conscience into the very framework of the human soul. It is the automatic warning system. Appreciate all you guys who fly jets and help help to make flying of jets possible. It is the automatic warning system that tells us, pull up, pull up before we crash and burn. So we need to train our consciences. I thought, I have, I, I like this subject. And I've taught about conscience in small or medium ways before, and I thought, is this going to be like too much This, as I was thinking about doing this this morning? And then I was reading Kevin DeYoung, and he said the Puritans and ancient Christians, and, and, and the Puritans were not perfect at all, but he said the Puritans focused on conscience a ton. And I was like, okay, well, I can, I can do it. And I can do it again, and maybe we'll do it again. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says this in verse 23. Are you there? 1 Corinthians 10, 23. 1 Corinthians 10, 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. There it is. Look at it again. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. That should sound familiar. Look at it in verse 27. Eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. And then you see in verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question 
on the ground of conscience. Verse 28. But, but, if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give thanks. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. This is not where it ends. It ends in verse 1 of chapter 11. Be imitators of me, Paul says, as I am of Christ. So I said that the plan was to look at Hebrews and then to look at the New Testament. And this, this really is the paragraph that I mainly want us to look at. So, so we're already there in, in point two. And this, we'll glance at a couple other passages, but this is, this is the rest of the New Testament that I was talking about. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through really through 11, 1. That's the paragraph. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 11, 1. So as I studied, I was really helped with this, as one brother pointed this out. Really, what he, now get this, get this. What he's doing in this final section of the chapter, he's summarizing what he's been saying from chapter 8 through 10. You can go and you can compare Romans chapter 14. And just by the way, Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10, very similar. Very similar. So he's been going from 1 Corinthians 8, which we read earlier, all the way through 10. And he summarizes it. And here's three quick principles. You ready? Three quick principles. Here they are. I'll use this guy's language and then I'll translate if need be. First of all, Christianity involves freedom from, from legalism in relation to everything that is not inherently evil. Christianity involves freedom from legalism in relation to everything that is not inherently evil. Is something inherently evil? What are you doing playing games so close to it? I'm the type of person I can watch. I can watch this show with a little nudity. Who do you think you are? Do you know the word of God? What are you doing? If something is inherently evil, don't get close to it. That being said, and that needs to be said, there is freedom. Christianity is about Galatians 5.1. Galatians, the book of Galatians, is the charter of Christian liberty. And it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. For things that are not inherently evil... As like the list that I gave you earlier, take that as an example, right? And, and, so, and some people might say, well, Halloween is inherently evil. And other people would say, no, I, not the way I practice it. Or some people would say Santa Claus, you know, is or, you know, or these types of things or, or listening to secular music is. 
one of the things I think he's clearly saying in this passage and that he's been saying for three chapters is, Christian, you're free. You're free. He's speaking in many ways against legalism in this text and in this context. Legalism, you know, the idea that certain following certain laws and following certain rules are either essential for salvation or kind of essential for salvation. That's terrible, and Scripture speaks against it. And he's speaking against it here. He says, Christian, you're free. If, if Jesus Christ has cleansed your conscience, has he? Has he? If he has cleansed your conscience, then you are free and do not let anyone judge you. And you are responsible to train your conscience according to the word of God. You will answer not according to your imperfect conscience, although you will answer for that. You will answer according to how you have studied and lived by the word of God. It is incumbent upon us to know the word of God and to live by it. Jesus, if Jesus Christ has cleansed your conscience, has he, then you are free and let no one judge you. Here's the second thing. Secondly, I'll just say it like this. Consider others. Consider others. Here's how this guy says it. One must voluntarily curtail one's freedoms in various situations for the sake of, of those who might otherwise be led into sin. I can't go into great detail into 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 11, 1. Hopefully you've got that open in your Bible. But look what he says. Isn't verse 24 so important? Isn't 1 Corinthians 10, 24 so important? Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Verse 28, if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. This, the Bible actually doesn't teach that you shouldn't do things just in case somebody might be offended. That, that's not exactly what it teaches. You don't have to let other people's conscience do that. That does not judge your conscience. The conscience of other people is not the Lord of your conscience. However, the conscience of other people should affect how we act. If someone says to you, verse 28, stay with me, stay with me. This has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. And then this is kind of tough, but I think he goes right back to the first main point, which is, and, and you're free. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? But, but, verse 28, that's not me, but, that's the Bible. But, but, if someone says to you, and 8, 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 and Romans 14, dear friend, dear brother and sister, in the church, in the church, consider others. Especially, especially if your freedom in this particular situation would lead this weaker brother, and, and, that, and they are the weaker brother because they're not theologically correct, if it would lead them to sin against their conscience and maybe even, maybe even not only sin against their conscience, but keep going even into destruction. If you do that, you're sinning against Christ. So you're free. If you're a Christian, you're free. Consider others. And in both of these things, do all to the glory of God. 
You're free. You are not free to violate any commands or to sin in any way that the Scripture makes plain. And it, it makes it plain for us. You are free. Consider others and do both of these to the glory of God. You know, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. These verses that we love do have a context. And here's the context. You know, verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. It's been said like this. What are you more concerned about? Your rights or the salvation of other people? Oh, God, help us. I'm, I, these are my rights. I'm free. You're right. You are free. Are you free in Jesus Christ whom the Son sets free? You are free indeed. You're free. And hey, man, I've got these rights. I can go to the temple. And um, I can participate in pagan feasts. Yeah, technically, you're right. Well, at the very least, I could go to the meat market and I could buy meat that has been offered, that has been sacrificed to idols because I know that there's no God but one. And I know that there's no Lord but one. And so I could, at the very least, I could go to the meat market and buy this, this meat that's been sacrificed to idols in pagan temples. You're exactly right. But in the church, verse 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. Are you listening to this? Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. You may feel like I'm a, I'm a sorry evangelist. If you're a Christian, then there is a sense. I don't always love this. There are actual missionaries, but, but there is a real sense in which every Christian is a missionary. And so your life, whether you think you're an awesome evangelist or not, is for the purpose of living by example and by word to glorify God and to praise Jesus Christ so that others would glorify God and praise Jesus Christ. So this is not just about my rights. What about my rights? What about your rights? Who cares? Jesus Christ laid down His rights. Whatever you, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, 1 Corinthians 10.31, do all to the glory of God. Be imitators of me as I am Christ. Let me close with a few things. Hebrews, I gave you five texts. Two were in nine, two were in ten. One was in Hebrews 13. We certainly could have looked at Romans 14. We looked at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And there's no time to go back to what we read earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, which is also very help, helpful about this whole idea of the stumbling block. Now stay with me, and I just want to share a few final things that I found so helpful on this issue, and I hope that you will as well. How do you keep your conscience tender? Remember, by the way, these two key principles that have been pointed out. The only Lord of, of the conscience is God. And it's, it's never safe to go against conscience. But you do need to calibrate your conscience. You do need to educate your conscience. We do need together to see it, see the word of God, and let this transform our conscience, because our consciences are not perfect at all. How do you keep your conscience tender? 
Jonathan Edwards says, the way to do this is to the utmost to resist sin. The way to keep your conscience tender is to the utmost to resist sin. Because it is possible, dear friends, and again, I may very well be speaking to some this morning, with a calloused conscience or a wounded conscience or a seared conscience. Real people do go to a real place called hell. And Jesus Christ is the only way. The gospel of Jesus Christ. He died for sinners. He rose from the dead. He's coming again. You must put your faith in him and repent of your sins. Receive him as the Lord. Remember, it's not just believe that Christ died for you. That's not it at all in one sense. It is receive the very Savior and Lord who died for sinners. I'm going to keep you. We are a church, if you know anything about our church, you might not be surprised. If you've ever heard this name, it's totally okay if you haven't. Martin Lloyd-Jones. If you want something good to read besides the Bible, hey, by the way, we just all need to, I, I need to, as I think we all need to, we need to just make sure we're actually reading the Bible. Okay, some of the best books besides the Bible are books that, that are directly tied to the Bible. The Martin Lloyd-Jones Studies in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a great book. Or Spiritual Depression. Great book. They're both, actually, they're just his sermons. Great books. And so again, I, I found this and I thought it was helpful. Don't be too dogmatic about all your convictions at any point in time. Your conscience, what is it? It's your consciousness. It's your moral awareness of what you think is right and wrong at any given point in time. So in 1924, Martin Lloyd-Jones was 24 years old. So again, some of us in this church love Martin Lloyd-Jones. I mean, really, he's a great guy. In 1924, he was 24 years old. And he died in 1981. Um, so he's, so this is very early in his life. And he shared some convictions in a way that we might suspect that he later regretted. This is kind of funny. He said this when he was 24 years old. This is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. He said, I cannot possibly understand a man who wears silk stockings or even gaudily colored socks. Rings, wristwatches, spats, shoes instead of boots, or who carries a cane in his hand. The modern method of installing a bath in each house is not only a tragedy, but it has been a real curse to humanity. If I had to spend a lifetime with a companion who had one bath a day or with a companion who had one bath a year, I should unhesitatingly choose the latter. Because a man's soul is more important than his skin. When I enter a house and find that they have a wireless apparatus, a radio, I know at once that there is something wrong. Your five valve sets do, may do wonders. They may enable you to hear the voice of America. He's in Britain. But believe me, they will never transmit the only voice that is worth listening to. Amen. I, by the way, I've heard rumors that Wilson Hines has a radio in his house. <laughs> this may make you laugh today, but you have probably made similar judgmental statements that later embarrassed you. This story illustrates why you should avoid being dogmatic about all your convictions. No, no. Be dogmatic about everything in the Word of God. There's matters of conscience that Christians in the church disagree on. And I believe that Paul is clear. There are the strong and there are the weak. And that's not just, that's not just those who are feel weak and feel... They're actually the weak and the strong because 
One's kind of right and one's kind of wrong. Both can glorify God. We need to live in a church together for the glory of Jesus Christ who died on the cross to make one new man, one new man, Jew and Gentile together. There's more to be said, no doubt, but let's pray. Bow with me. God and our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Hebrews, what a treasure it is. We thank also along some of these lines of the book of 1 John that James has preached through, and we thank you for Jesus Christ and for his atonement. We thank you that he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for those of the world, as 1 John 2, 2 says. We thank you for Jesus Christ and for the blood of Christ. We thank you that our consciences can be sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Thank you that through Jesus Christ we can have a good conscience. Thank you that we can laugh. Thank you that we can bear with one another. Help us through the Holy Spirit. Help us according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.